You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. Jesus, as we come in this place this morning and listen online to our online campus this morning, or we're maybe sitting in here in the downtown campus. Lord, we, we, we come to you a broken people. We come to you a people that just confess right now in this moment that without you we are nothing and that we are completely and utterly dependent on you for absolutely everything. And we ask that you would have your way in our lives. We ask that in the middle of everything going on around us, that you would fix our eyes on the cross, that you would consistently remind us of your leadership, of your provision, of the security that we have in you, and our mandate to make you known and to follow you in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in your name, and everybody said, amen. Have a seat. You guys, welcome to church. This is a streaming service, and so downtown, we want to welcome you in this moment. And also, Rock Creek, if you stream this service, we want to welcome you today, too. And as we get started, I'm just going to, because of our time limitations, I'm just going to jump right into things. And so, if you have your Bibles on your phones that you brought in with you, if you would open them now, there's going to be a TV with a scripture on them in just a second, and so we're closing this whole opportunity thing out. What we've been doing the last several weeks is we've been saying in the midst of all the craziness, in the midst of all the chaos, um, because we are purchased by the blood of Jesus, we have unique opportunities, and then we can unify around those opportunities, and so we have an opportunity this morning specifically as we close this out to be led by the Father. And so I don't know about where you guys are at, but for me personally, this is a crazy time, right? I think you have to be a bit out of touch with everything that's going on around you, not to concede that this is a bit, you know, angst, anxiety provoking, right? Is everyone with me this morning? I mean, if you you were to deny that, you'd be incredibly out of touch. And so uh, for me, one of the unique things that's so difficult is I just can't quite get a handle on what's going on around me. And so right when I think I kind of know the narrative in the script, something shifts, to a place that I never even saw coming. And for me, sometimes, and I think remember even saying this on the roof several months ago, sometimes it's harder to not know something than even know something that's bad. And so the way the narrative has gone in the last several months is I thought I knew what the bad was and then it shifted. And then I thought I knew what the bad was and then it shifted again. And I thought for sure by the time June hit, it would look a lot different in our lives than now. And everything going on culturally around us, I'll just be honest, maybe you saw it coming because you're more in tune than I am. I never even saw it coming. And so we have an opportunity to unify around the gospel, and we have an opportunity to be led by the Father. And so what we're going to do this morning, in the midst of all the angst, in the midst of all the frustration, in the midst of all the hurt and the pain that we are facing right now in this moment in our lives... We are going to unify around one of the most popular, if not the most popular scriptures in all of the Bible. And so what we're going to do is we are going to stand up and read this scripture together. And so if you're downtown, you're going to stand up in this moment as well. North Campus, let's stand up together. And we're going to read this 
very famous verse in the Old Testament. And it's a verse surrounding this idea of leadership. And it's surrounding specifically the idea of who do I follow in the midst of the unknown. And so the Lord says, I'm your shepherd. And let, let's read it together, Psalm 23. And if I stop reading for a second and say something, just, just let me say it and then we'll keep reading again, okay? Uh, just a little uh, test of your patience because you guys know how I can go off on little tangents. But let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Quit reading for a second because I want you to catch this because I'm not going to be able to go through everything. The other way that that translates is so powerful. It says, I want for nothing. Who in here has arrived at that place? I want for nothing. You're further along than me. He makes me, let's read it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads beside me in still waters. This is what God does in his leadership. Let's read it together. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Check this out. For his name's sake. Look what he says next. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they do something. They comfort me. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. And this is how it ends. David says this 3,000 years ago. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. How many days? All of them, all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Here's the hope and the promise forever. You may be seated. You're going, man, that was the craziest scripture reading of all time. He stopped like five times and interjected a thought. And so just follow this with me. Just by a show of hands in the North Campus in downtown, you can raise your hands too. How many of you have heard this scripture before? You could grow up an atheist and you'd know this one. So that's why I picked it. And so as we hone in on the leadership of God, we see the character of nature of God thousands of years ago through the psalmist David, whose heart is broken. We see his heart and his character and his leadership manifest. And it starts out with this umbrella statement about who he is and how he leads. And David tells us, my God and your God... Yahweh, he's a shepherd, and so shepherds always do something in their leadership. They're very direct in their style. Shepherds know how to discipline. Shepherds know how to direct. Shepherds can be very kind, but oftentimes they're very firm, and that's why he's going to say later in this, my God or my shepherd has a rod and a staff for discipline. And so although shepherds aren't always the most educated in the Old Testament. They are very direct in their style, and they lead a people group or an animal group that are not the brightest. And so if God's the shepherd, then we are what? We're the sheep. That's not the most flattering concept in all of Scripture. Because here's the deal about sheep, you guys. They don't just make mistakes. Sheep make mistakes over and over and over again. They have memory impairment, don't they? I never raised them, nor do I ever want to, although I do live on a farm now. What they do, though, is this. They make some crazy mistakes if the shepherd is not tied to them on a very personal level, on a very close level. If they stray at all, it takes just a very short period of time before they're doing something really dumb. 
And so he says, my God is the shepherd. And even though I'm a king, and even though I have prestige, even though I was a great warrior at 15 years of age, I have this reality that in my spiritual tense, I am a sheep. Because right when I think I've got it all figured out, and I can defeat a giant, the next moment I'm running for the hills. Right when I think I know what God's morality is all about, I'm sleeping with Bathsheba. David says, I am a sheep, and I am a sheep in need of a shepherd. And he says, sometimes this God of mine, he takes me to these green pastures in his leadership. And I I researched that this week, and there's a lot of things that I didn't understand about that because my natural go-to is thinking about it through the lens of the here and now. And so when I think of green pastures, I think of lush fields of green where sheep can just roll around and to their heart's desire, they can have anything they want as this is a never-ending field of green. But if you actually look at the arid climate that these sheep would have lived in when David's actually writing this text, it would have looked very deserty. It would have been rocky terrain, and so there was just a little bit of humidity, and what would happen in this little bit of humidity and this little bit of rain that they would get is it wouldn't be just this lush field or this lush pasture that is green as far as the eye can see. What David would have been explaining in this moment to his reader, which they would have understood, is that these sheep would actually be going from little green patch to little green patch to little green patch, completely dependent on the shepherd. And so they'd get a little rest, and they'd get some food, and they'd move on because the green was gone. And so he's making this point. He's saying, my God is taking somewhere in his leadership, but he's taking me from a place where I'm never quite comfortable because once I get my fill for that day, and Jesus addresses this with his disciples, once I get my fill for that day, the green is gone, and he takes me from this green patch to the next one to the next one. And then he says this. He says, not only is he taking me to green pastures, but he's leading me beside still waters. And here's what's so cool about this. Still waters were not just a natural byproduct of the climate. And so the shepherd in his leadership would know that his sheep aren't going to drink comfortably if the water is rushing because they're scared and they're timid. And so they would dam up the waters. They would shore them up on each side every time that they would need to drink something. And those sheep who were followers would come into this place of rest and come into this place of peace. And all the while, the shepherd is controlling the script And so they would have a time of rest, and they would have a time of food, and they would have a time of drinking. And isn't that how our relationship with the Lord works? It's constantly living in the plural, isn't it? Like right when you think you've arrived at green pastures, that's when you go through a valley of the shadow of death. Right when you think you've got it all figured out and you can live in a place where you're comfortable, in the very next moment you're tired, you're hungry, and you're thirsty. And so God is showing this to his sheep thousands of years later. And there's such an honesty in scripture. It's not, uh, maybe I'll walk through the valleys of the shadow of death. There's this promise that times aren't going to just be green, and times aren't going to just be still waters. But times are going to be restless, times are going to be broken, And there's this word that he uses. It's not, you might go through some tough times. You might go through a valley where there's a shadow, and it's not just any shadow. It's a shadow of death that feels like it's oppressing everything that's going on around you in your life. It's not a, that might happen. And I want you to underline this if you can on your phones or write it on your hands or whatever you have to do to imprint this on your mind before you leave this place, whether you're online in this room or downtown this morning. It's an even though type of statement. It's God is good, 
when times are plush, when the water is still, and God is good when the world is completely broken and people are crying out to him and they're desperately looking for a leader worth following. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does he say? What does he say? I will what? I will fear no evil. That I can actually go through this difficult situation and I can rise above it because my God is a God of perfect love and perfect love does what? It casts out fear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So there's this promise in this text. And the promise is not an absence of difficult and trying times. The promise is that no matter what you go through, the reason that you're not scared is not because of a self-reliance that you have. It's not that everyone else around you can be trusted. We've already seen that come crashing down on our lives, haven't we? There are just certain institutions and certain scenarios of injustice all around us, and everywhere we look, we can see it so clearly, that can't be trusted. And what God is saying to his sheep, what the great shepherd is saying to his followers, is that even in these times, you cannot fear, not because you can rely on yourself, that's the man-made gospel, but because I am the good shepherd, and I am never going to leave you or forsake you. And so here's what I found in my 40 years of living, and maybe you know it to be true if you're not as old or older. What I have found to be fundamentally true is that I have incredible reasons to fear if I'm not relying on the promise that God is with me. And that most people in life, if not everybody at certain points of life, even those closest to the nest are going to let you down. And what makes the gospel so intimate? What makes Christ such a personal savior? is that he doesn't lead from five miles ahead of you in that pasture. And he doesn't lead from five miles ahead of you in that still water. He creates the still water. And he doesn't lead from five miles ahead of you in the valley of the shadow of death. What makes this relationship with Christ so unique to all other world religions is that in the middle of our crisis and in the middle of our pain, look at me, Christ is fundamentally right with us. Good leadership isn't 20 steps ahead. Good leadership is ahead because you're the leader, but it's two steps ahead where people can follow, and it's intimate, and it's personal, and he says, there's a reason not to fear. And if I was going to interject my opinion as to everything I see going on around us right now, with, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but it's tense, is it not? It's tense. People are carving out positions. There are a lot of us that are very quick to speak and slow to listen. And we're being bombarded by social media. And we're being bombarded by the news. And it went from a, from a corona situation where the sky was falling and we're still scared. Obviously, we're, we're sitting in here being very cautious in this place or listening online because it's not time for us to be in a social setting yet. And it went from just one crisis to another. In the midst of all of it, where there can be so much personal growth through listening and hearing the hearts of what people are actually saying, we are so quick to speak and slow to listen. And we're scared and we are reliant on a God who saves, on a God who brings provision. But there's this cultural dilemma. And the cultural dilemma has never been that we're short of, you know, kind of bringing problems to light. 
The cultural dilemma is the solution. The cultural dilemma is that there's no staff and no rod that's guiding our footsteps. The cultural dilemma is in the midst of all the pain, in the midst of all the brokenness, in the midst of all the I don't know what's coming next, here's the cultural dilemma that we fall into. And this is what I want to speak about as we start closing this message out. It's going to be a few more minutes, but, but as I start leaning that way to show you the point and purpose of God's provision and his leadership in our lives, here's the big train wreck that always comes, that we diagnose an appropriate problem but then in the solution, we look to ourselves to fix it. And so we say, we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're going to try harder. We're going to try to be more loving. But what we don't understand on a very fundamental level is that we are broken in need of saving, and broken can't fix broken. And so instead of looking to the good shepherd to take us through the valleys of the shadow of death, instead of looking to the good shepherd to be the great equalizer where the gospel goes forward and we realize who we are in light of a holy God, we look to ourselves and we say, instead of pursuing righteousness is what he calls us for us, in his name's sake, all we end up doing is we pursue self-righteousness because we think we've diagnosed the proper question and the answer to the question is ourselves. And, and my thought would be this, how's that working? If you grew up like I grew up, you grew up a product of the 80s and 90s where we were told consistently, anyone in the crowd? I know a few of you. I went to Bible school with you. We were told consistently that if we believed in ourselves, that that was the great solution. And Christ is saying, I'm the shepherd. That all of this brokenness that you're sitting in, you're not going to see any real change until you deal with change on a heart level because you are the problem, but you were never designed to be the solution. And so there's this destination to our leadership in Christ. And you already read it, but let me just clarify it for you because it's a foreshadowing of Christ to come. That the leadership of God doesn't just sit in a place with us. It takes us to a destination. And the destination of God's leadership is always intended to point us to the Savior because the destination of God's leadership is righteousness. That as God being the perfect parent, he is taking his children to a place of righteousness. And if you're a parent in this place, or you're a parent online, or you're a parent downtown, you kind of know how this works. Hopefully, in your parenting, you have a process, and you have an end goal, or a destination. So for me, because I look at Scripture, and I see what God wants to do, I want to do something in my own kid's life. I want to impart in them, through Christ, the righteousness that only comes from Him. And so everything I do is through the lens of where are they going to end up five years from now because I want them to know Christ personally and I want them to be in a place where they're righteous, not because of their deeds, but because of him. And, and my kids kind of have this figured out. I'm going to tell you a quick story as we start heading towards closing. Last night, it's like my daughter gave me the perfect sermon illustration. She hears me say things. How, how many of you guys have kids and you realize they hear more than you think they hear? She hears me say this statement because I work with parents a lot. And sometimes when I'm working with parents a lot and Ann and I are kind of breaking things down because the parents are talking to both of us, she'll, she'll hear me say things that I didn't realize she hears me say. Sometimes when I see a kid acting a certain way, I'll make this statement. I'll say, you know, that, that kid is doing this, this, or this, but really that's a parent issue. And I have kind of a philosophy behind that. And so I was working with my daughter last night as she was self-loathing because that's what we do sometimes in our sin. And she says to me about my middle child, she says, Dad, it is so unfair 
Jet got to go on go-karts today. Jet got to go out to eat. Jet got to do X, Y, and Z, and so she's self-loathing for herself at bedtime. And honestly, here's where I was at with it. I was blown away. Because in her self-loathing statements, as I was listening to this little girl talk about these things, I reminded her at bedtime, I said, Ariana, you woke up at a lake, I took you to lunch, then we went to Dairy Queen through the drive-thru because it's not open, right? And then I said, Ari, if, if you remember correctly, just 20 minutes ago, I just beat you five games in a row at Connect Four, and then we played Guess Who because you couldn't defeat your brilliant father. And I said to her, I said, Ariana, you're being a bit selfish, don't you think? Aren't you kind of self-loathing? And she said, Dad, and she looked at me. You know what she said? Do you know how the story ends? She said, Dad, I think that's a parenting issue. And so here, here's my point. God the Father in his leadership is trying to take us on a path of righteousness for his name's sake, that his leadership has a process and an end goal, just like your parental leadership has a process and an end goal. And so this entire psalm, read it through a new light, it takes us to the gospel, right? It takes us from a place of first recognizing that we're sheep, of first recognizing that we're the problem and that Christ is the solution. And when we understand it through that lens, then all of a sudden, God can start moving in larger ways as we humble ourselves before the Lord. And there's this hope in this text that surely I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, not because I'm righteous, but because he has made me righteous. We have an advantage in this text 3,000 years later that the people who are reading it in the primary context of when David was crying out to the Lord didn't quite understand that although we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil because he has sent his son, you guys, here's the gospel, for his name's sake, for his glory, he has sent his son knowing that there's nothing that we could ever do to be righteous and he has imparted his son's righteousness on us. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our despair, his leadership is not just leading us in something, it's taking us to something. And it's pointing us to the Savior this morning. And so apply that to everything going on around you. Think about everything that you're hearing and all the noise and all the brokenness and all the frustration and all the oppression. And just ask yourself this question. Maybe you're even listening online and you're not even a believer. But just ask yourself this question. If all of this can change outside of Christ, look at me, then why has it not already happened? Apply it to this issue of racism. I mean, isn't that the hot topic that all of us pretty much are thinking about? There's probably a lot of opinions on it too. I had this thought when it comes to this text about racism that I want to share with you. That God and his leadership is taking his people purchased by his son's blood to a place of righteousness. And as God is doing that, if we operate outside of that and think that we can ever handle this issue of racism apart from Christ, that we are completely and utterly delusional. And here's why. I want to share this thought with you while I close this thing out for real now. That at the heart of sin, 
And at the heart of rebellion, there's this statement that we make that we don't even realize. And I want you to hear it this morning. We say this to God without even knowing it. I'm better than you. I know more than you. My ways are better than your ways. And I don't need righteousness from you. This is our rebellious attitude towards God because I am self-righteous and I've got this thing figured out. Now Now hear me say this about racism. Here's my epiphany, and maybe it means something to you as you've navigated through everything going on around you as a Christian. If in our sin we think we're better than God, then the natural byproduct of that, if I think I'm better than God himself, look at me, then of course I think I'm better than you. If God is way up here, but in my self-righteous, prideful state, I think I'm better than God himself, then you can rest assured in every generation, in every culture, in every time period throughout history since sin entered the question, if I think I'm better than God himself, then of course, on a fundamental heart level, I'm going to secretly think I'm better than you. Instead of understanding the gospel and having Christ's righteousness placed and imparted on us where it says, I'm a sinner and you're a sinner, and I don't care if you're Native American, black, white, Asian, Mexican, whatever that looks like, it's all an equal playing field. If you're in Peru or if you're in Rock Creek, I am no better than you and you are no better than me because my God is righteous and I'm a sinner. That's the gospel. That's the transformation. If it is ever going to change, hear me say this, it's only through the gospel. It's not through our own pride and our own self-righteousness that things are going to change in this country and this world. We're a multi-ethnic movement. We've got a church on a reservation, and we have three churches in Peru. And here's what you find when you travel. Every single place you go, everyone thinks they're better than everyone else, period. You know what Colombians think? They're better than Peruvians. Do you know what Brazilians think? They're better than Colombians and Peruvians. And on and on it goes because we're not dealing with this issue at a heart level taking on the righteousness of Christ in the equal playing field of the gospel that says you're no better than me and I'm no better than you because I'm a sinner in need of saving and Christ is good. Apply the gospel to every area of your life and receive the righteousness that's placed on you through his blood. As 2,000 years ago, Christ went to a cross in your place Even your good deeds were like filthy rags before the Lord. And he died in your place. No matter your race or your gender or your socioeconomic status. And he has imparted upon you, if you turn to him for salvation, his righteousness. And those people that you disdain privately and don't want to tell anyone about, those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus has an end goal in his leadership with you and with me, and it's righteousness that's only found in him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, this this isn't the text that we just arrive in where we say, I get it that you're with me in the valley of the shadow of death, and I'm never going to fear again. I get it that you're righteous in my place and I'm never going to be self-righteous or proud again. We're sinners in need of saving, Jesus. And that has an internal consequence of being with you forever and eternity. But it also has a here and now consequence where we're still broken. It's already but not yet. 
And so, Lord, as our weekly challenge as a church, as we close out this whole idea of opportunity, I pray that the families within the new life body would come together and read Psalm 23 every single day this week. That we would look to you and to you alone for our righteousness. That we would put down our pride and our arrogance. That in any way, if we think we're better than anyone else, that you would keep those things far from our heart as we realize that you are so good and we are so broken. And I pray that that imparted righteousness would change our heart. I pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.